How can you say to somebody, you got sawdust in your eye when you got a tube of horse sticking out of your face? That's what Jesus said. Well, not quite face. He said eye. But I don't know. Put it in a cartoon, it gets kind of funny. So, what would Jesus ask you? That's kind of the question we've been asking. Uh, and uh, I've been thinking about this. What would you, what would you be, do? What would you, would you be challenged by his questions? Uh, what would you do if uh, his question made you uncomfortable? Like, no, no, Jesus, I don't want to go there. Thank you. Well, let's talk about the weather. Um, how about those tigers? No, we don't want to talk about the lions. Thank you. Uh, and we certainly don't want to talk about March Madness anymore. Uh, in Mark's record of uh, Jesus' life, he recounts several questions that Jesus asked his disciples. Um, and uh, in one of them, he actually defends somebody that they're picking on. And uh, we're going to look at that today. Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. Uh, Mark chapter 14, verses 1 to 11. Let me give you the backstory. Uh, we're getting close to the end of Mark's record of Jesus' life. Mark's only 16 chapters long, and the 16th chapter isn't very long at all. Um, so, Mark chapter 14, uh, well, it's chapter 16 is Easter. So, uh, that's Resurrection Sunday. So, that gives you an idea. We're really close to the end uh, of what was going on. And, um, but so far in Mark, wherever Jesus went, amazing things happened. People's lives were changed. Uh, one person put it this way. Jesus brought his standard triple uh, threat offense, preaching, teaching, and healing wherever he went. Uh, of course, healing uh, covers a lot of things ranging from inner healing, physical healing, uh, to forgiveness and cleansing and demonic deliverance to all sorts of other major minor fixes to those of us who are human beings, in other words, broken image bearers of God. And the amazing thing is, because Jesus changed people's lives, he got in trouble. The religious authorities began to criticize Jesus very early in his public ministry. He's introduced in chapter 1, and by the beginning of chapter 2, he's being criticized already. Who does this guy think he is? He can't do that. Only God can do those kinds of things. And then he proceeds to do more things than only God can do. And they're just sitting there going, yeah, but. And then in the third chapter, uh, he breaks one of their rules in the synagogue, no less. And the religious authorities, he does something that only God can do in church, the equivalent of a church building. On a Sunday, well, on the equivalent of a Sunday, in the middle of a worship service, and they're so upset about it, the literal words are, they go out and try to figure out a way to destroy him. 
that's the begin. That's the beginning of his ministry. He was he had a three year ministry. So at the very beginning, from the very beginning, they have been trying to figure out how to destroy him because he does things that only God can do, and it helps people. So here we are in Mark chapter 14, verses 1 and 2 tells us, nothing's changed. The religious leaders are searching for a way to kill Jesus without causing a riot. Because you can imagine all the people that he's been helping are pretty happy with Jesus. They like him. That tells us that Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper. Now I have to pause there and explain something. That reads Simon the former leper. Because if Simon was still a leper, he would not be in a house. He wouldn't be in town. And he certainly wouldn't be throwing a dinner party. Lepers who were still lepers were outcasts. This Simon must have been a leper that Jesus had healed. He was one of the people Jesus had helped. Well, of course he's going to throw a dinner party for him. And a woman came with an alabaster jar of costly aromatic oil made from pure nard. That, that doesn't make seem like, you know, that's not something we know about a whole lot. So did a little research. Nard came from a plant that grows in northern India. So just think about how something in northern India had to make its way all the way across to Palestine, to Bethany, over by Jerusalem in Jesus' day. They didn't put it on the airplane and fly it over there. They either put it on the back of a donkey or they put it on the back of a camel and walked it over there. So she shows up with this costly aromatic oil made from pure nard. After breaking open the jar, she poured it on his head. But some who were present indignantly, yeah, easy for you to say, Angrily, angrily said to one another, why this waste of expensive ointment? It could have been sold for more than 300 silver coins. In other words, a year's wage. And the money given to the poor. So they spoke angrily to her. Some who were present. That's how Mark worded it. Matthew, in his record, said it was the disciples John, in his record, said it was one of the disciples, Judas. My best guess, Judas Iscariot, John said, stirred up the other disciples and they stirred up everybody else. 
And all of a sudden, everybody's picking on this lady. How could you do this? Look at that terrible waste. You just dumped all that money on top of Jesus' head. You could have given that money to the poor. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Now, I'm not sure, but I am. I'm going to su suggest that he got his dad voice out. He wasn't a dad, but he was a big brother. He was the number one son in the family. He may have gotten out his, his big brother voice. Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a good service for me. You will always have the poor with you, and you can do good for them whatever you want. Now, before you think he doesn't care about poor people, he does care about poor people. He's actually quoting from the Old Testament, the book of Moses, Deuteronomy, where Paul, De Moses says, you will always have the poor with you. Take care of them. So he's not letting them off the hook. He's reminding them that is their responsibility. But, he says, you will not always have me with you. She did what she could. She anointed my body beforehand for burial. For whatever reason, these people, or motivation, Judas and the disciples and these other people had for making this, they did have a point. It was a pragmatic, practical point. Uh, but there is a problem with the point they were making. This woman was worshiping Jesus, and they were thinking economics. Worship is not practical, and sometimes it's, well, it's often not economical. Her act of worship doesn't live in the category anywhere remotely near to helping the poor. She wasn't pouring out perfume. Uh, she was pouring out herself. She was giving herself to Jesus. It wasn't something calculated or strategic. She was like she was like centuries before singing the song that we just sang a few moments ago. We're the whole realm of nature mind. That we're an offering far too small. Love so amazing. So divine demands my soul, my life, my all. Now, I know somebody's going to say it sooner or later, if they haven't. If you haven't already begun thinking that, somebody's going to. But Jesus said that as we treat the least of these, we're doing it to him. And so that makes helping the poor an act of worship to Jesus, right? And to quote one of my famous authors, that's a good point. However, in this case, it misses the point entirely. The Lord will you make that.
disaster. Let Jesus finish talking. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And then the conclusion in verses 10 through 11, Jesus volunteer goes out, Judas goes out, and finds the religious leaders who are trying to figure out a way to kill Jesus without causing a riot, Judas volunteers to betray Jesus to the religious leaders. So why did Jesus tell his disciples to leave this woman alone? I've been pondering this question for a long time, not just this week or so. It, it, far longer than that. And I've heard sermons about this for many, many years. Why did Jesus tell his disciples to leave her alone? What motivated him to come to her defense? What lesson is he trying to teach? What was he trying to teach them? What's he trying to teach us? This is my conclusion at this point in my life. It's not our place to find fault with one another in the kingdom. It is not our place to find fault with one another in God's kingdom family. This was, for Jesus, a practical application of the second great commandment, where we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. In another place, Jesus said the same thing in a different way. He says, I give you a new commandment to love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Everyone will know by this that you are my disciples. If you love one another. The Apostle Paul wrote in, well, he wrote most of the letters that are collected into the, the New Testament section of our Bibles. And, and this is what he wrote to the followers of Jesus in the city of Rome in the first century. This is how he said we're supposed to treat each other, especially when we're talking about things we don't necessarily agree about. He starts by saying, who are you to pass judgment on another servant? Before his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. For none of us lives for himself, and none of dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For this reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he may be the Lord of both the living and the dead. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will give praise to God. Therefore, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, we must not pass judgment on one another, but rather determine never to place an obstacle or a trap before a brother or sister. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and building up one another. Here's the sermon in a sentence. Let's 
let's make the church a no nitpicking zone. Let's make the church a no nitpicking zone. It's not our place to find fault with others in God's kingdom family. This is one of the practical applications, as I said, of that commandment to love our neighbor as Jesus loves us. Now, here's the problem. I'll say bad news for now. Unfortunately, it's harder to put into practice than it is to say. Because we respond to others with our feelings instead of our knowledge of the great commandments. Confession time. I'll probably drag about 99.9% .9 of everybody who's hearing me with me. Okay, 100% of you are going to come with me. If you're honest. I'm not going to ask for anybody to raise their hands. But the go-to response to messages like this for all of us, for me, has been, oh, that person really needs this. Because the problems are out there. You know, I have a pastor friend who's got some real difficult people in his church. And they really need to hear this. I even suggested to one that they share this video. He was wise and said it. He thought that was kind of passive aggressive and not a nice thing to do. I said, well, I was kind of joking, but I have a mean streak. Um, our first response to stuff. When we start going, oh yeah, no nitpicking zone in the church, that's an awesome idea. There are some people that need to hear that. You know why they need to hear that? Out there? It's because we, all of a sudden, are hearing Jesus say to us, why are you troubling her? Or him, and we're going, no, 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 we don't want to go there. Those are the people that you need to talk to. The problem's out there. The problem's not, the problem can't be in here. The problem's got to be out there, Jesus. Let's talk about the people with the real problem. And he's going, no, no, no. See, this is the whole point. We need to talk about you, Mark. This is what happens with us. Someone, someone says or does something and their action stimulates a gut level response in us, in me, every one of us, and especially if it hurts. And then when we're hurt, we respond usually with anger or criticism, maybe not out loud. Then the amazing thing is, 
our brains kick in to find all the reasons about why that response was right. And in those moments, folks, if we stop and listen, we hear Jesus speak to us through the Holy Spirit. Leave them alone. Why are you bothering them? I'm going to be honest. The closer we got to this morning, the more I wanted to skip this sermon. Could I at least get to the place where I could tell people I semi-mastered this? I'll just tell you what the Spirit said. Son, it's going to take way too long for us to wait. You're going to be working on this for a long time. These are ingrained. It's a long, deep, hard habit. One of those things that the moment we start thinking, oh, I got this, I got this. I ain't got it no more. I skipped from a two before to a one by two, but hey, still a plank. See, we need the Holy Spirit. We need to constantly, regularly, frequently, maybe a constantly, like, you know, yeah, we need to frequently be asking the Holy Spirit to examine us. We prayed this prayer a couple of weeks ago. We need to pray it frequently. Search me, oh God, know my heart. Search me, O oh God. Test my thoughts. Know my anxious thoughts. Help me know my anxious thoughts. Search me, O oh God, and see if there's any offensive way in me. Let's make the church a no nitpicking zone, and let's start with the person we see in the mirror. Not those people out there. Start with me. I'll start with you. And you start with you. Now there's good news in all of this. As followers of Jesus, we are in well, I just I heard this term this week. I just it leapt off the page of the devotional I was reading. We are in love training. We're love training. And Jesus, our teacher, has preceded us. He's shown us the way. He's, he's already practiced this. He, he, he's shown us. It, and it's never too late to learn love for each other. The way that Jesus loved us. It's never too late to start. It's never too late to learn to, to love others as Jesus does. It's, it's never too late to learn to love God and others as our teacher does. It's, it all begins, though, 
It all begins and it's all sustained and it's all fueled with a powerful revitalizing encounter with God's love. It, ongoing, regular encounters with his love. Let's make a church with a church, a congregation that's a no nitpicking zone, starting with the person we look at in the mirror. Let's pray. As I'm praying, I'm going to be praying for all of us, and I hope to invite you to make it your prayer. Let's make it your prayer personally. Dear God, you envelop us and surround us with your love. And in our weakness, we come to you because we cannot love each other without experiencing your measureless love once again. So Holy Spirit, come with healing power Fill us with God's love. Heal us and help us. Comfort and strengthen us. Deepen our joy. Let our love, our acts of love, reflect your tenderness and gentleness. Come, Holy Spirit, with healing power. Fill us with your love. King Jesus, we need you and your love. We need more of you. Holy Spirit, we need more of you. We pray that you saturate our lives. We are hungry thirsty and desperate for more of you. So come with your healing power to heal the broken places deep within us. To patch the holes the wounds and fill us with your love. Our hearts open and ready to meet with you. Our souls are running on empty. Lord, come and fill us with your love again. Change us, Jesus. Transform us in your time, in your way. God, we surrender completely in full pursuit of you. We give you our all. Holy Spirit, come with healing power. Fill us with God's love. 
just want to wait for a few moments. I don't want to, I don't want to rush out of here, out of the Lord's presence this morning. Search me with that. Help me to know my heart. Help me to know my thoughts. Show me how I can be more like you in the way I treat the people around me, in the way I respond. We are sent to go with Jesus, to work with him in introducing people with the Holy Spirit's powerful love. Sometimes that involves weeping and wrestling in prayer. Sometimes it involves conversation. Sometimes it involves listening. But it always involves being available to him and to others. So, go. You are sent to join Jesus' search party in the power of the Holy Spirit. You're sent.